and we're doing a little bit of an overlap this morning. Last week we got to verse 27, but we're going to go back this morning and start at verse 25, 26, and 27 once again. Now we know here in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul has been laying out the position of both Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, past, present, and future. And let me tell you, these three chapters are so incredibly important in theology or doctrine or the understanding of Jew, Gentile, but more so the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. It's a big part of understanding, you know what, God's plan in this time that we are in to bring forth the Lord Jesus and to draw all men unto himself. We know that Paul has been educating the Gentile in these chapters, showing them that indeed Israel was God's chosen people, that he made covenants and promises with her. And despite her hardness of heart, there was always a remnant that believed and as well, God was faithful despite her shortcomings to bring the ultimate promise through Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came according to the scriptures, who lived a sinless life that we can't live, who went to the cross to die for our sins in our place, and praise God who resurrected from the grave and defeated sin, death, Satan, and hell. Again, Israel, for the most part, out of a remnant, rejected the Lord in his first coming, choosing to try to find right standing with God through the law and self-righteousness. That's not found there. The law shows us we are sinners. It shows us that we are unrighteous and we need the Lord Jesus. And yet the Gentile world sat in darkness. You know, in a culture of paganism, They weren't even seeking God, but God in his goodness as Israel rejected Christ took the gospel out to the Gentile world. And it was so wonderful, you know, going through the book of Acts before Romans because we saw time and time again as the gospel will go out to these various areas, Gentiles just flocking to Christ, finding out that there was the living God who sent his son to make the way for them to be saved, to be set free. And yet in all of that, God still was not done with natural Israel. And it's one of the main points that Paul is making here. And it's something that needs to be made today because there's so many, even within the church, who thinks God's done with natural Israel. Again, when we get saved, we become part of spiritual Israel. You know, we're sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. But God is not done with natural Israel. And we'll be reminded once again this morning. And then, listen, next week we're moving on to chapter 12. And so this introduction that you've been getting over and over and over again, I'm doing that purposely. I'm not doing that to take up time. This is to grill these truths into our hearts, that we'd understand these things. Because again, we'll see this morning, we're not to be ignorant concerning these things. We know that even in this time, that God is using now the Gentiles and the church to stir a jealousy in natural Israel. And I've shared stories along the way of even Jews getting saved out of a jealousy of a Christian friend or someone they knew. What do you have that I don't have? And we see even in the book of Acts, a stirring in the Jews as they're seeing the great work going on in the Gentiles. And we know the time is coming soon and we're gonna get into a lot of detail about this this morning that 
The fullness of the Gentiles will come in. There'll be the end of the church age. There's something called the rapture we read about in the scripture. And then God's going to take seven years that he prophesied about in Daniel and other places in the scripture where he specifically deals with the nation of Israel. And praise God, all of natural Israel, the remnant that remains at the end of the tribulation is gonna come to full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're gonna look at that specifically in a whole lot more detail than we did last week. We kind of overviewed it last week. And then we're gonna close out the passage this morning and Lord willing, we'll get to the end of the chapter. Just seeing Paul really breaking forth with, with praise to God and marveling at the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God and the counsel of God. And it's just my hope as we've been going through these chapters and learning these things that, that that would be welled up in us as well. I know I found myself in this series here. And again, we'll finish out the book, the Lord willing, but especially in 9, 10, 11, just rejoicing. I've so enjoyed teaching through this and it just strengthened my faith. And I just marvel again at God's perfect plan. And so I hope that's been the case in you. And it's more the case today. And as Paul finishes this chapter out, just giving praise to God, that we would do that together as well this morning. So let's read our text together, verse 25 through 36. And again, we'll spend more time in verse 25, 26, and 27. And then we're gonna close out the chapter, Lord willing. So let's read it together. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the father's. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might, that he might have mercy on all. Verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so again, going back up here to verse 25 and we touched again on some of these things last week. I wanna bring a little more detail into them, a little more color to them. As I shared last week, we're gonna do an overview. And then now next week, where we are now, we're gonna fill in some of the details. But again, notice how 25 starts, I do not desire. And we pointed out last week that this isn't just Paul's thoughts here. This isn't Paul being wise in his own opinion. And, you know, he's, this, this doesn't start with, you know, in my humble opinion. He says, this is my desire. And it's his desire because the Holy Spirit is moving upon him to pin this. This is the heart and mind of God. Paul's bringing prophecy. Paul's bringing scripture here. Paul's bringing the Old Testament, showing how 
God's fulfilling and is going to fulfill his prophetic word. So as we read these things, again, this is the desire of the Lord for us. He says, the brethren. So brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of the Lord. Again, this is first and foremost for his people, his children. This is his love letter for us. So you can put your name in here. This is God's desire for you. Maybe you came in, what's God's desire for me? We'll look at one of his desires for you is that you shouldn't be ignorant of the mystery that God will save all of Israel. It's God's desire, again, that we're not ignorant of that mystery. And last week we spent some time on that. I want to do it again. The word ignorant means not to know, not to understand, or to ignore. So he's saying, I don't want you to ignore or not understand this mystery that all Israel, all natural Israel will be saved. Unfortunately, there's a lot of ignorance in that area. There's several places in the New Testament where God tells us, don't be ignorant concerning this. Don't be ignorant concerning that. And again, that's put there because I have found in 25 years of pastoring, those are areas where there's a lot of ignorance where either there's a lack of understanding, a lack of, of, of knowledge because of a lack of teaching, or just an ignoring of certain subject matters that individuals may find too intimidating or overwhelming, where it's like, I'm not even going to go there. But that shouldn't be us. Listen, we, don't, we have freedom in Christ, but we don't have a right or freedom to ignore the Word of God. Look at it's not optional. Ignoring the word of God is not optional for those who confess Jesus as Lord. You confess him as Lord today. Can you say amen to that? We've been called to be a people of the word. Jesus said in John 8, 31, it says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So abiding in the word is not just carrying a Bible around, it's opening it up. It's reading it, it's dwelling in it, it's allowing God's word to wash us, to cleanse us, to encourage us, to exhort, to exhort us, to edify us, to equip us, and so forth. And so we want to be a people abiding in the word, dwelling in the word. If you've drifted from the word, get back to the word. And you're like, well, I'm in the word every Sunday morning. Listen, if you only ate food every Sunday morning, you would start, get, you would start to get hungry during the week. And you know what, that might be good for some of us to do that for, you know what, two, three weeks, you know. But at that point, you need to start absolutely nourishing yourself daily. And so when he's talking about abiding in the word, this isn't just a call for, again, us gathering together that we are called to be in the word, Sundays, Wednesdays, small groups. But this is a call daily to be in the word, not to ignore the scriptures, Last week, we looked at that call to continue in the faith, and we saw how those with real saving faith will be upheld by God to continue in the faith. Part of continuing in the faith is continuing in God's word. I get concerned when I run into believers who've walked with God for many years, and yet they've lost their fire and their zeal to be in the scriptures. Oh, I read the Bible once. No, you need to be reading through that Bible nonstop. Myself personally, and this is by God's grace, I try to make it my aim every single year to read through the Bible. You know, three, five chapters a day, you can work through it. And you're like, oh, that's a lot. Dude, we read stuff that, you know, that's like three or four pages, you know? 
And I know there's so much more in God's word and the volume there and so forth, but I can't encourage you enough. Maybe you need two years to do it, but to be in God's word daily, not to ignore the scripture, not to ignore doctrines and teachings and so forth. Paul told Timothy there in 2 Timothy 3.13, he said, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I think that we can attest to that being the case today, is it not? Evil men and imposters are all over. Men that are deceived, deceived other, deceiving others, and they're growing worse and worse. There's a lot of deception in the world. But notice verse 14, he says, but you. And Paul isn't just talking to Timothy here. He's talking to us. You're the you here, but you, fill in your name there, but you must continue. Notice, you must continue. And the things which you have learned and have become and been assured of knowing from who you have learned them and from your childhood. Notice here, you have known, and what's he talking about? The Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. You must continue in the Holy Scriptures. There's a lot of deception, a lot of corruption. It's growing worse and worse. How do I combat that? Get in God's Word. Continue in the Holy Scriptures. Notice he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Hear, no, hear this this morning as well. Know this, that ignoring a passage or ignoring, ignoring doctrine in scripture, because sometimes there's things that are ignored, not out of maybe laziness or just not an understanding that we're to be in the word and so forth. Sometimes things are ignored because someone just doesn't like a text they find something in the Bible offensive. You ever get offended by God's word? Look at God's word as an offense to the flesh. There's no doubt. And then that's where we got to ask the question, am I going to be spirit led and let my flesh get in check? Let God put that down so I can abound in him? Or am I going to be wise in my own opinion? But here's the thing, ignoring a, pas- a, a passage or a doctrine we don't like or find offensive does not change the reality or the ramification of the passage. It's like you sat in here this morning and say, there's no sun outside. I know there's no sun. That sun is still up there in the sky. And so it's all the more we don't want to ignore God's word. We want to yield to the scripture. Now I understand, you know, you get saved and it's line on line and line on line and you start kind of with milk and there's some things, subject matters, they're just too meaty. But as we grow in the the milk, we graduate to the meat. I was thinking of my son, Elijah, who... He's a big boy nowadays and uh, a big 25-year-old boy. And I remember him starting out with milk and that kid. And if you guys were around back then or seen pictures, you talk about a chubby little guy. And, and I was like, man, I can't wait to get him his first, uh, you know, in and out hamburger. And it was probably six months. I, I got chased, I got, I got chased, chastened by my wife that it was too early, but I remember I'm eating a burger and I gave him a piece of it. And boy, his face lit up and like, <laughs> probably a little too early. Don't get, I know there's a baby formula shortage. Don't milkshake and a, and a, you know, and a, a double, double for him and so forth. And so sometimes it takes time and I get that, but let's be moving forward. Amen. Let's be moving forward in the scripture. Notice um, 
Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man. The end of that way is death. And so again, we don't want to ignore the word or think, well, I want to go my way. God's way produces life. Our way does not. And I'll tell you as well, look at, he says, don't be ignorant of this mystery. Many biblical mysteries become unmysterious when we get into God's word. When we start understanding, we looked at this last week, 2 Timothy 2, 5. Excuse me. It says, be diligent to present or study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a shame found when we name the name of Christ, but we ignore God's word. Think about it. The Bible you're holding in your hands or on your smartphone or tablet, look at that, that's not the words of man. Hear this, those are the words of God. The word of God. That's a shameful thing when we ignore God's word. Now look at, God loves us. It's not a matter of God heaping shame on us or whatever. He calls us to his word. But if you think about it, this is God's word that addresses all the issues in the world. And how often do we ignore it for studying TikTok, Main Street, the mainstream, you know, mainstream media, Netflix or whatever else. Let's be a people that don't ignore God's word, amen? amen. Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me, notice, or my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. We're gonna get to that here in a minute in our text. Look, it is a fallen world that we're in. It's very adulterous, it's very sinful, we don't say that just casting stones and looking down. Look, at God saved us out of that. To God be the glory. The only thing that separates us from the unbeliever is the grace of God. But listen, now we got God's word. And I don't want to be ashamed of God's word. I don't want to ignore God's word. I don't want to put it on the side. And I'll tell you, there's a great effort in the world to try to make us ashamed of God's word because it does not line up with the opinion of fallen men. It doesn't line up with this, we're gonna do our own thing, we're gonna do what we want to do world. Get this in your heart. Don't be ashamed of the word of God to appease a sinful generation, to appease God-haters. There's a great effort to try to get us into that place. No, let's not ignore God's word. Let's not be ashamed of God's word. Let's absolutely not shrink back because if you stand in God's word today, all the more you're gonna be going against the stream. But hear this, you can go upstream all day when you got Jesus going before you. Motorboating right through it, you know? Shining for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, this is beautiful. Listen, that knowing and knowledge of truth, because we don't just learn more about God we come to know God more through his word. Hear this, it always brings good things. I found in my walk with the Lord over the years, those passages, those things I come to that, that offend my flesh, that when by God's grace, I yield to the Lord and I'll say, okay, God, I'm gonna do it your way. It always produces life. It always produces blessing. Always brings me into a place of green pasture. 
Again, we read there John 8, 31, where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And then notice verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That word free, it means to be delivered. I hear a lot of talk about deliverance ministries. You want to get delivered in your life? You want to experience deliverance on a spiritual and practical level? I'll give you a deliverance ministry right now that we all can walk in, get into God's word and let God's word change your thinking and renew your mind and learn who you are in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, 16, take heed or pay attention to yourself and doctrine. Continue, we see that word again, in them. By doing this, you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. He goes on there in 2 Timothy to say the time will come, they won't endure sound doctrine. They'll put the Bible to the side. But we want to be a people that do not ignore God's word. And listen, I know that it's easy after you start stacking up years in the Lord where at first you were so excited to get into God's word then it kind of became there. Then you kind of lose a zeal for it. And the next thing you know, it just sits on the shelf because you read that and so forth. No, look at even this morning, we're barely scratching the surface of the depths of the scripture. If you've lost that fire, if you're ignoring God's word, ask God to ignite it again today. Can we say amen to it? And then get out and get into the word of, it's the word of God, guys. God speaking to us through the scriptures as the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men. And again, and we'll move on here in a second. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man or woman of God may complete, be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says here, again, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Here again, he's specifically talking about this mystery of Israel being saved, but there's an application across the board. We don't ignore God's word or doctrine lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Because if you're going to ignore God's word, it means you are going to fill the void with something else. And most of the time, it's just our opinion. And remember, we saw with Israel and all Israel be saved, being saved, there's a lot of opinions about natural Israel that are contradictory to God's word. A lot of Christians running around in ignorance saying, well, God's done with natural Israel. We're, we're natural Israel now. That's just not the case. I don't know how anyone can come to that conclusion otherwise, outside of me concluding the obviously the book of Romans is not in their Bible. Really with the rest of it either. Like, what are you reading, bro? Because it's all over the scripture. And remember, we even saw Elijah had a false opinion about Israel when Jezebel was ruling and threatening him and so forth. And he ran from her and got in that cave and he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. You know what? What's wrong with Israel? You got to be done with her. He says, I have 7,000 that haven't been need to be ill. Let's not be wise in our own opinion. Because even when things look like they can't come about, when God says they're going to come about, our opinion's wrong. God's a God of miracles. God, God's the God of buzzer beaters. Have you noticed that? He'll wait to the fourth quarter. There's 10 seconds on the clock, down by two, and he sinks the three. And you're like, why does he do it that way? Listen, to grow our faith. How can your faith ever be grown if you never go through a trial or tribulation or have to show patience? No, Lord, I don't want any of that. I just want it all now. Your faith growing is more important than whatever you want now. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
So again, what's the divine response concerning Israel versus the opinion of men? He says, blindness in part has happened to Israel, natural Israel or outside of that remnant, which we saw earlier. There's always a remnant of believers, but it's happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then notice the first part of verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved. The divine response concerning Israel is I'm not done with her. Again, I have a remnant now, and we're gonna touch on this. When the fullness of the Gentiles have come in or at the end of the church age, all Israel will be saved. And these are matters we've been talking about week in and week out for the last two years on Wednesday night in our end time study. We went through the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25, about the end of the age, through the entirety of the book of Daniel. And now we're near the end of the book of Revelation. And we've learned of these things. And we know we're in a time right now called the time of the Gentiles or the church age. And we see this clearly in the book of Revelation. People get intimidated by that book. Oh boy, what do I do? There's an outline in that book. And I won't try to spend a lot of time on this. If you're, you wanna learn more, again, we have stacks and stacks of teaching online and CDs and so forth. But again, Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ specifically concerning end times events. The Lord tells John there, Revelation 119, write the things you've seen, the things which are, the things that will take place after this. The things he's seen pertain to the ministry of the Lord, his death and resurrection. John writes of those things. The things that are actually are the things that are still are right now. Because we know next he writes seven letters to seven churches, which wasn't just for those churches at that time. It's for us right now. And then he says, write the things after this. After what? After the church age. After the fullness of the Gentiles. After that last person, that last Gentile puts faith in Christ and then God says, I'm blowing the trumpet, I'm taking my church and now I'm gonna minister to Israel. In Daniel's 70th week, God said himself at the end of the age, there would be seven years specifically set aside for all natural Israel to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 4, after those letters to the church, he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place, what? After this, after the church age. And in chapter four and five, we see the fullness of the church in heaven. We read of 24 elders on 24 thrones, we know in those letters, God promised crowns and thrones to the church, to those who overcome. And then as he's describing the 24 elders, he describes them as a massive group of people, tongues from every tongue, tribe, language, worshiping God in heaven. It's the church in heaven. And then you go to chapter six and you see that first seal broke, which is the Antichrist coming on the scene. And it moves into the great tribulation where all Israel comes to faith. So the fullness of the Gentiles, when will that happen? I don't know, but God knows. I do know this. He talks about signs leading up to it, one being even God assembling Israel again as a nation, which we know happened in 1948. Go read the book of Amos at the end of it. It talks about a transformation in the land of Israel in the last days. That's happened. I've seen it firsthand. Mark Twain, who was not just a novelist, but a historian, said that was the most barren place in all of the earth, everywhere he had gone. That is a land of milk and honey today, as prophesied 
God said they will come together in the last days and this barren lamb will become a fruitful lamb. They're one of the leading exporters of fruit to Europe and the world. This little nation, the size of a postage stamp, where it was desert, now it's blossoming and booming with trees and vegetations and the animals and the birds and more than that. The Jews have come back according to scripture. I won't read it all this morning, but in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, this is Old Testament. God says there's 70 weeks determined for your people and for your holy city. A week in the context here is seven years. It's the law first mentioned. We know Jacob, he served his uncle Laban seven years for his wife, and then he tricked him, and he had to serve another seven years, and he got two wives out of it and became very problematic. Stick with one wife, guys. That's God's plan there. So 70 weeks or 490 years. And he says the prophetic clock, they were in captivity then. He said the prophetic clock's gonna start when there's a decree to rebuild the nation of Israel. That happens some time later. And he said from that time to the time the Messiah is cut off, there will be 483 years And if you go look at scripture, you look at history, from the time that issue was decreed by Xerxes to Messiah being cut off the Lord Jesus Christ Passion Week, it's exactly 483 years. Any Jew should read that and get saved from that passage alone. So he said there'd be 69 weeks or 483 years, and it says the Messiah would be cut off not for himself. And indeed, that's true. Jesus laid down his life for us, for our sin. And then he speaks of seven years at the end when a man will come forth and confirm a covenant for a week, a peace treaty for seven years with Israel and her neighbors and so forth. And look at the news today, so much attention to the Middle East. Indeed, Jerusalem has prophesied a cup of trembling. And yet this man's gonna show up and say, hey, I have the peace. But we know in the middle of that time, there's gonna be an abominable sacrifice brought by him. Israel's gonna see this is not our Messiah. And the Bible then speaks of great persecution on Israel. It's a time called Jacob's trouble. We read this last week in Joel 30. Notice verse seven, unless for that day is great, so that none is like that. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's another name for Israel. But notice that he shall be saved out of it. That's when the Jews are gonna step back and they're gonna recognize, man, we got, we got it wrong. Notice 26 in our text. It says, and so all Israel will be saved. So the fullness of the Gentile comes in. God deals with Israel that last seven years and make note, the first, the first 483 years, the church wasn't around. You got those last seven years. We'll come more to that in a second here, the church not being around We read in Zechariah 13 last week, verse eight and nine, speaking of the last times or that time of Jacob's trouble, two thirds of Israel will be killed. There will be a great genocide as often has been the case in the history of Israel, but one third will be preserved. And then in Rome, excuse me, Revelation 12, 13, it speaks of this persecution against Israel. She is the one that gave birth to Christ. Christ came through Israel But he says, two wings was given to her on a great eagle that she might fly to the wilderness to be nourished for three and a half years. 
And this is where, again, the idea of Petra and Jordan comes in and God preserving her and then her coming to faith in the Lord. But again, notice what it says in our text. All Israel will be saved as it is written or as it's prophesied. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The deliverer, this is the Old Testament, the deliverer being referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will come again. Zion is twofold. Zion is Jerusalem on earth, but the Bible speaks of heavenly Zion or heavenly Jerusalem. Jesus will come out of heavenly Jerusalem He's gonna make war against the nations that are in rebellion against him, but all Israel will be saved. And make no mistake, he is coming and he is coming soon. You're like, oh, Steve, where are you getting this stuff? From Jesus. Go read the last, the last chapter of the book. The Lord tells us three times, behold, I'm coming quickly. He's coming quickly. We also read though in Jude 17 and in Peter's epistles, more than once that mockers would come in the last days. You know, it's sad when some of the main mockers are Christian pastors <laughs> that are ignorant of these things or they're so caught up with just building little kingdoms on earth. They're like, oh, we don't want the Lord to come. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming and we need to be watching and about his business, amen? He's gonna come out of Zion and again, we know first he's coming in the air for his church. We've read this passage many a time. I read this yesterday at a memorial for a believer who's gone to be with the Lord. But notice what the scripture says. And maybe you've read this many times. I pray that it would wash you afresh this morning, that it would stir your heart afresh this morning. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, this starts in 13. Now we're at verse 14. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that today? To believe that means I've entrusted my life to the Lord and I believe this truth. This, this is the mark of my life. Even God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. So again, to be absent the bodies, to be with the Lord, but our bodies go back to the earth. So they come back with the Lord in spirit. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's gonna be a resurrection at the rapture of the church, first of the bodies of those saints that have already passed. They're coming back in spirit, their bodies will be resurrected. Trip out on that. Notice verse 17, then we... Maybe that's we here, I don't know. God knows the timing. I know we're getting nearer. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture from. It's raptus in the Latin. I don't see rapture in the Bible. You don't read the word trinity either, but it's in there, for goodness sakes. It means to be violently snatched away. Then we who are alive and remain shall be violently snatched away together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I see this at the end of the, or the fullness of the Gentiles. The church age is completed. And now there's this seven-year period, the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, where God does what he says he's gonna do, bring all of natural Israel into salvation. 
And at the end of that time, the Lord comes back, this time with his church, not in the air, but foot on ground. This is spoken of throughout the scripture. Jude verse 14, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s, pluralized, of his saints to execute judgment to convict all who are ungodly, among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We come back with the Lord. God judges the nations, but as we read, Jacob or Israel is saved out because all Israel will be saved at that time. We'll see how they'll be saved in a minute. Revelation 19 for extra reading for you speaks specifically of what this scene's gonna look like. Heaven open up. The word of God comes out of the Lord's mouth like a sword. We get more detail about us. You're like, what's my future hold? Are you in Christ? Here's some of it. We're gonna come back clothed in fine linen, following him on white horses. I know we got a few horse lovers here today. I did the Mormon yesterday. The guy was a motorcycle and there were motorcycle guy he's probably on that harley in heaven right now i don't know about that but i know there's horses in heaven i know that harleys i don't know horses we do know listen either way you're going to be content you're going to be content you're going to be with the lord (laughs) oh but i need that certainly you're going to be with the lord but will fluffy be there you're going to be with the lord And it talks about him coming back, striking the nations. And then I'm not gonna read them this morning, but I wanted the text before you. Excuse me. Because we see specifically where his foot's gonna touch the ground. First of all, in Revelation 16, it talks about the nations gathering in a place called Armageddon. We've heard of that place. It's also called Megiddo or the Valley of Jezreel. When we go on our Israel tour, we go right to this place. We go up to Mount Carmel that overlooks it. More wars have been fought in that valley than any other place in the world because it's where Europe, Africa, and Asia all meet. They're gonna gather in that place, but it's gonna stretch all the way down, up and around through the Dead Sea. And we read in Isaiah 63, he's gonna also come to Basra, which is the gateway to the city Petra, the eagle's nest, as it's called in the book of Obadiah, where most likely Israel will be preserved no doubt to liberate them. And then in Zechariah 14, it says the nations as well are gathered around Jerusalem. You gotta figure all the nations left and those left gathered together. This is a huge army. The Valley of Armageddon, no way could hold them all. So also gathers around Jerusalem and it seems at that point there's some Jews back in Jerusalem and it goes on to talk about the Lord's feet stepping down on the Mount of Olives and it's splitting and that dead sea becoming a living sea. And then what's ushered in is this millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years, which we're gonna get to real soon on Wednesday night in our study in Revelation. Zechariah 14, 16, it says, and it shall come to pass, excuse me, that everyone who is left of all the nations will come against Jerusalem uh, which, which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of the tabernacles. So there's gonna be some that are brought through that tribulation along with all of natural Israel. We know the church we read 
in Revelation 20 will be on thrones judging. Tribulation saints or people that get saved, non-Jews in the tribulation will be resurrected at that point. And the Lord's gonna reign for a thousand years before a new heaven and a new earth. You got a big, busy future in front of you, you know that. And notice as well, it says at that time, he'll turn away ungodliness from Israel. He'll take away her sins. And how's he gonna do that? Is it gonna be sacrifice of goats and lambs? Some people read about the millennial temple in Ezekiel and it talks about sacrifice and they think, oh yeah, they're gonna go back to sacrifice for their sins. Those sacrifices never took away their sins before. Go read Hebrews. Talks about God not being pleased with those things. And it talks about there in Hebrews 10, 8 through 10, God preparing a body for a son to die for our sins once and for all. Their transgressions will be washed. Their sins will be taken away the same way that yours have been. Hear this this morning. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, to the glory of God alone. Can we say amen to that? And he says, this is his covenant with them. Now I do wanna read this. Hear this this morning. Especially if you're ignorant towards all of Israel being saved or you're opposed to it because your opinion says she shouldn't be. You're wrong in that, just so you know. Oh, Steve, who do you think you are? I ain't anybody. I'm reading God's word, though. Notice Jeremiah 31, 31. Hear this this morning. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and these shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is a description of the new covenant. The Holy Spirit's poured out on all flesh. Yes, God has me in a place of preacher, teacher. That's a spiritual gift. But all y'all in Christ this morning have the Holy Spirit. And if you get into God's word and say, God, teach me, he will meet you where you're at. And then notice what he says here. Hear this today. Hear how God's done with Israel. He's not. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Hear this. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the, notice, seed of Abraham, he's talking about natural Abraham, shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. If you think God's done with natural Israel, please do me a favor. When you go out today, look up. Don't look directly into it, but look up. The sun's up in the sky. God's faithful to his covenants. To Israel, and praise God, are you in Christ today? As a partaker of the new covenant, he will be faithful to you. Now quickly here, verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. Again, we've read they've rejected the gospel. And in the rejecting of the gospel, God took the gospel out to the Gentiles. But here's the thing. Just because they 
outside of a remnant rejected the gospel, they still have an election on them from God. God is the one that has elected Israel to bring forth the Messiah. And in that, God is also elected to save all Israel. And as he, as he did with all of us, we all, I, I imagine I, from talking to most people, we come to the Lord usually through trials and fire. And he's gonna bring her through that trial and fire and bring her to salvation. As he says here, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who believe God concerning the salvation of Israel. It's God honoring their faith and God being faithful to his promises. And then notice they are beloved. So remember that if you are prone to curse Israel, you're cursing God's beloved doesn't mean we have to approve of everything natural Israel does. I don't approve of everything. A lot of things they do is not biblical. But I pray for her peace, pray for her blessing. As really we should do for all peoples. You're like, well, I can curse these people. Hey, that's not biblical either. 29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Oftentimes that's taken out of context. The first context though is speaking of Israel. God has a calling on Israel and it's irrevocable. God's not taking it back. God's not saying, well, there's enough Gentiles. They got the opinion I should be done with Israel. So guess what? I'm gonna listen to these guys and I'm done with Israel. Doesn't work that way. As we'll see in a minute, God has no counselors. God's not done with Israel. And again, we just read about that in Jeremiah 31. There's also a side note application for us. God gives us spiritual gifts. God has a calling on each of our lives. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, minister it to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. They're there, they're irrevocable as well. And here's the thing, the gifts God has given you this morning, they're either being used, abused, or they're buried in the ground. But here's the thing, they're irrevocable and we're gonna give an account for them. Use your gifts Romans 14, 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. When I was a young boy at eight years old, I received the gift of speaking in tongues. It wasn't showy, it was me going down to the altar when they were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I believe I had already received. I remember getting on the corner by myself and God giving me that gift at eight years old. From about 12 years old to 22, I was completely backslidden. You can do a lot in 10 years, let me tell you. And I remember coming back to the Lord as a 22-year-old young man and remembering God giving me that gift. I'll tell you, as an eight-year-old kid, just came right out, didn't even think twice about it. And I remember at 22 going, man, I wonder if I still have that gift. I think I need to exercise that gift. I don't want to exercise that gift. That's weird. That's what I thought. What I'm, what I'm talking some voodoo nonsense over here, summon a demon or whatever. Like I know the scripture says this is a gift. It's, it's nowadays predominantly a prayer closet gift. You pray for edification. You're edified by it. There needs to be an interpretation for more than that. And I finally, you know, I went back and I read Corinthians several times and I finally mustered up the faith and I said, okay, I'm gonna go and guess what? That gift was irrevocable, it was still there. <laughs> it was still there. And then God in his grace added gifts of teaching and evangelism and, and, and preaching as well. But I think it started by me going, look at, I know I have this gift. It's the least of the gifts. 
do I have faith to exercise it? Your gifts are irrevocable. Don't abuse them. And if you've been burying them and there's a lot of spiritual gifts, get them up and get them out being used for God's glory, for the building of the body of Christ and for the salvation of souls. Can we say amen to that? Verse 30, as you were once disobedient to God and now have obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also having now being disobedient through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. And we've been talking about this for several weeks. Israel rejected the Lord. God in that showed mercy to the Gentiles and brought that in. Through God bringing the Gentiles in and showing them mercy, he's doing that to stir Israel to jealousy where he eventually will bring them in to obtain mercy. I marvel at this this morning. This is God working all things for good, even man's rebellion. Is he not a great God? Verse 32, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. We're like, all them Jews? No, all. All Jews, all Gentiles, we are all sinners. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. We're all sinners in this room. But God's mercy is available to all. Mercy, not getting what we deserved. Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Notice again, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on him and be saved. Have you believed on him? Can you say amen? If you haven't, look it. Finish the deal today. Call on him today. Ask him to wash you today and forgive you and God will begin a wonderful work in your life. We're gonna get through this, 33, we're almost done here. Again, and, and, and take in mind everything we've been looking at here. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Again, his wisdom and knowledge is so rich and vast. Those waters have no bottom. Ephesians 3, 8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, it's beautiful though. And James says, if we lack wisdom, if we ask God, we'll give it. Man, take your issues first and foremost to the Lord. First and foremost to him. Don't, don't, well, you know, if all this doesn't work, then we got pray to the Lord. Number 10, come to the Lord first. Call on him first. We can't search fully out God, his judgments, or his ways. Isaiah speaks of this. As the heavens are higher above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts higher than ours. But here's the thing, we can continue to grow in them. We can grow in the depths of understanding of his person, judgment, and ways. But listen, we better not ignore God's word. We gotta dive in. We gotta immerse ourselves. Don't settle for the shadow water. Go read Ezekiel. It talks about that stream that comes from the Mount of Olives that we spoke of. And he, he starts in his ankles and he goes a little deeper. It's his knees, then it's up to his waist and then his neck, and then it's over his head. It's a picture of the depths of God's wisdom and mercy and love and his grace. And we wanna to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, that's Second Peter 3.18. Remember that word, continue. We continue to grow. We continue to abound. Verse 34, 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall repay to him? Look at outside of God's word, the Holy Spirit, we're completely oblivious to the mind of God. God has no counselor. Look at, we're called to pray, but remember that in your prayer closet. You're not in there to counsel God what to do. We should pray what he lays on our heart. We should pray according to the word, but I gotta pray, I gotta go counsel God. God, what's wrong with you up there? A lot of people run around, they think they're God's counselor. I've heard pastors, I told God, I claimed it and named it. God, get down here. Bro, you need to shut up and go humble your heart. And even when it comes to Israel, there's a lot of people, I'm gonna counsel God on this, those dirty Jews, blah, 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 blah. The bankers, Hollywood, whatnot. Yeah, there's a lot of sin there, but guess what? God's grace is greater. And if God saved you, what you think that God can't save Israel? Well, you're better, you're a less sinner than they are. For goodness sakes, let's be real about this, man. And again, 35, who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. Look at giving to, of your first fruits to God's a glorious thing. You can't outgive God. You sow little, you're gonna reap little. He loves a cheerful giver, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 7. But here's the thing. When we say, I gave of my first fruits to God, actually, it all belongs to God and what he gave to you or what you have that you gave out of him, he first gave to you. So what you did is you gave to God what was already God's. Again, this is talking about the awesomeness of God. This is to put a humility in us that all the more we would praise God and give glory to God. God knows best. God's opinion is right. God's wisdom is right. He's vast. It's unsearchable. He's given me enough to hang my hat on and he's given me so much that I can even give to him. But how can I say, I first gave to you. And then with all this said, to close these three chapters here, look at the praise that Paul gives. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, amen. I said, I'm gonna sum it all up. It's all for him, it's all through him, and it's all to him, all things to his glory forever, amen. Can we say amen to that? That means so be it, or it's the final word on the matter. And look at it, it should be something that we say, let's live our lives as such. Let's live our life for him and through him, and to him, because like all other things, our lives belong to him. Lord, help us to do that to your glory. This is our high call. This is of most importance. This should be our chief aim. This is why John the Baptist said, I must, he must increase, and I must decrease. Why Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And why Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Now listen, you don't lose light at life and that you gain it because he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it because that's where life is found in him. Is not God good? Let's stand up and we'll close here in prayer. We got to verse 28. You're like, we ain't finishing this chapter. And here we are across the finish line, you know. So much here, though. I, I hope and pray you don't tuck this away, but you go back. Heavenly Father, we bless you, God. We give you glory and honor.
We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, God, your love for us. Thank you for these saints here today, each and every one of them. Shine your face on them, God, in a great way. Let us abound in you, God. Let us abound in the knowledge of our God and God, the application of your truth in our lives. Can we say amen to that? We pray for the peace of Israel today, for her salvation. Can we say amen to that? And Lord, I just wanna pray, God, if there's any here that don't know you, they'd respond to your gospel. It's real simple on the word. You say, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at scriptures not marked with all these elaborate salvation prayers as men and women saying be merciful to me a sinner oh jesus save me call on him call on him in that manner even in your heart even right now as we close in worship let god meet you where you are and then i just encourage you let it be known tell others we got bibles we'd love to put one in your hand we'd love to pray with you encourage you bless any in that place lord Thank you, Lord. Hey, let's finish well lifting our voices to the Lord with one last song, and then we'll have some time of fellowship and whatnot.
That sound like an amen. Well, pray God greatly shines his face on you. You have a wonderful day and week in the Lord. Encourage it, a fellowship to build up one another. God bless you.